You are now listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Five, six, seven, eight. Holla, boys and girls, it's the BGN. Coming from the Marvel world to the DC friends. All the way from Hollywood to the PCN. She defends everyone from sleazy men. Won't apologize for spitting Shonda Rhimes. The space that we make is never colonized. We're talking games and movies and actors. Words. Better shake your booties for Black Girl Nerds. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie and I'm actually your host. In this episode, we welcome back Tristan Norman. If you remember episode 217, she was a guest on our podcast where we talked about her work over at Getty Images. She's the director of creative insights for the company. And in this episode, we're going to dive a little bit deeper about not only her role at Getty Images, but what she is doing to help break the bias. Break the bias is an initiative that currently Getty Images is doing to allow more inclusive images. When you go to Google, when you scroll through images, or even when you just are looking at media in general, whether it's through television, film, billboards on the highway, images of women, women of color, black women in particularly, taking those biases and breaking them. That is what she's doing over at Getty Images. And I am so excited to be able to have this conversation with her again. So if you're interested in this topic, do not go away. I think you're going to enjoy and really get a lot of great information from Tristan. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast with Getty Images Director of Insights, Tristan Norman. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie and I am your host and I'm really excited for our guests that we have today. If you listened at all to some of our older episodes, specifically episode 217 of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast, then you are familiar with this guest. We have Tristan Norman, who is the Director of Creative Insights for Getty Images, to return back as our Black Girl Nerds Jeopardy champion, I guess you could say in a way, um, to talk about uh, her work over at Getty Images and specifically about Break the Bias. Um, as you guys have probably experienced, you go on Google, you see images of women, uh, people of color, maybe even people in the LGBTQ community. And some of these images are you know, not portrayed, not not portrayed in a positive light sometimes. Um, and there's just a lot of biases out there when it comes to the imagery that reflects marginalized communities. And Getty Images is working to change that. And that's what Break the Bias is all about. And Tristan, I'm so glad to have you on to share with us more about this initiative and really to kind of talk about your role again at Getty Images, just for those who didn't get a chance to tune into that episode. So let's start with that. Um, walk us through your role at Getty Images and what the Creative Insights team does there. Sure. Well, first of all, thank you again for having me back. I must have not bungled that last conversation too badly. 
Um, so I'm so happy to be here. Um, yeah, I, uh, as you mentioned, lead the Creative Insights team at Getty Images. My team is really responsible for looking at all of our content and really understanding and identifying patterns and what's happening um, in visual uh, language and visual content more broadly. You know, Getty Images is one of the leading providers of visual imagery across a lot of different spaces, whether it's, you know, um, creative content for um, for commercial use and advertising and media or editorial content or even archival content. And what we get access to in a front row seat to, which is really, really cool to be honest, is all of the brands, all of that, um, uh, all of the content that brands are engaging with. And what we can do is actually identify kind of what is most popular, what are the things that are being missed out on. And we also can contextualize that with research about what's happening out in the world more broadly, whether that's a global pandemic or, you know, social media behavior and popularity of platforms like uh, TikTok and things like that, um, as well as um, market research uh, providing the consumer perspective on how um, behavior and attitudes and perceptions are changing. And what we do is connect all of those dots to tell a story about the visual landscape. So my team really gets to do, do it all, which is really, really cool, especially for someone who's as curious and nerdy as I am about the world and all of its machinations. Well, you know, we've got a curious and nerdy audience that's really ready to hear more about what you guys are doing over there. And I'm, I'm so glad that you guys are focusing on this initiative because there is a lot of social biases out there. Um, uh -huh. and, and I'm curious to know as far as um, the new data that's been unveiled around social bias that kind of hones in on stereotypes on women. Um, I know I've seen some images where I type in Black women and some of them are not portrayed in a very positive light. So can you kind of share what some of your recent findings have been with this new data and what have you found that has been most surprising in that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mentioned that we look at uh, market research. We have a proprietary study called Visual GPS, which really helps us, like I said, connect those dots on here's what's happening in the world and here's how it impacts visuals. And one of the things that I looked at this year, really, because we, we, we had known kind of anecdotally that women were being increasingly more represented in media. We knew that um, and, and we could actually verify and validate that through our, our own data. But what I still felt like to your point were the things that I was actually still seeing, what those stereotypes were that exist in media, particularly around black women um, and other women of color, particularly around LGBTQ women, people who uh, might have um, lower income, women who might have lower incomes, women who might be older. I knew that I wanted to kind of verify and see what's actually happening um, in terms of representation. And we found out a couple of really, really interesting things. You know, women make up the vast majority of the world. And the, uh, actually, um, um, there are more women and men in the world that number in most countries, except for, um, I believe, China and India, just because their populations are so huge. Um, and, and, you know, women of color, you know, the majority of the world's population are actually from um, Asia and Africa. So that, mm -hmm. in, you know, the, the inference from that is that, you know, the conclusion we draw is that the majority of the population is not white. Um, and yet right. what, we, what we also know and we can see in our data is that women, though, you know, 
these are those facts. And women might be more represented in visuals. Uh, women of color are underrepresented in visuals. And when they are depicted, you often see certain stereotypes. Um, so you might see them in certain scenarios. You might not necessarily see them in business, or you might not necessarily see them as leaders, or you, um, you know, might only see them as what can signal tokenism where they might be as a part of a multiracial group or a part of a group, but they don't get the center of the story. Um, the other thing is that women more broadly, you know, in speaking of representation of women, we are, they are actually overrepresented in our visuals, which is a little bit of a fascinating thing to see. Um, so actually more women appear in our popular visuals than men do. However, they're um, also more likely to be seen, um, you know, doing chores or things related to the home or to, um, uh, uh, caretaking. And even when um, working from home was, uh, you know, on the rise in our content during um, the height of the pandemic, the more most frequently selected visuals were of women who were working from home while parenting. And while we know that that is often the case, unfortunately, women do bear the brunt of, uh, of a lot of the kind of at home and caring for. If you're only seeing that, you're not necessarily seeing women as leaders or maybe women who don't have children or seeing women out with their friends or women who kind of have different life choices, then you are perpetuating a stereotype around how women are um, supposed to be represented. Um, and so there are so many really, really needy things that we kind of uncovered. And that led us to want to have this conversation because I think that people um, might not necessarily know that this is still going on. We think we've had progressive um, change and yet these are patterns that are still happening. Yeah. And I mean, sometimes it's not something that's just so, um, what's the word that I'm looking for? That's, you know, just so aggressively like negative. It could just be something that's just very subtle. Like just seeing black women doing everyday things is not something that you kind of are able to find when it comes to looking for images on the web. I mean, I can say in my personal experience as a publisher and full disclosure, we use Getty images over at Black Girl Nerds for our content. It was hard to just find black women doing everyday things like, you know, typing at a computer and we have a travel section on the site and finding images of black women skydiving or, you know, jet skiing and things like that. So I love that you guys are looking at, you know, women just doing all types of things and not being put in boxes. Um, because that's really important because we are a very diverse group of, of women and we're not a monolith. Um, so thank you for, for what you guys are doing in that capacity. Because when we think of social bias, we may think of just like negative stereotypes, but also it's like by omission that can be right. a problem. Exactly. Exactly. And stereotypes are often kind of intrinsically connected to real world discrimination. It's kind of the visual stereotypes you see are often reflective of the experiences that people may have in real life. You know, two and three women from um, experience bias or discrimination in all 
sorts of forms. And there are a lot of reasons that women might experience bias. It could be their body shape or size. It could be their age. It could be their income level. Um, you know, and when they're specifically reporting on experience discrimination, um, specifically related to their gender, according to our visual GPS research, it's based on the way that they look or the way that they present themselves, or people might have perceptions around how they emote or thinking that they're too nice or, um, you know, or thinking that they only care about their family. And so when you see that kind of relationship, we do know that, um, you know, that, that, that they are connected and that we need to kind of take a very proactive stance on kind of breaking those by um, those stereotypes down. So to ultimately break that bias. The Black Girl Nerds podcast will return in just a moment. ZocDoc is a free app that shows you doctors who are patient reviewed, take your insurance and are available when you need them. There's some amazing doctors out there, but really the only ones that matter are the ones who actually take your insurance. With ZocDoc, you can focus on doctors who are in your network, putting you on the path to see doctors who are right for you. So there's no wasting time hunting down your aunt or your uncle or your your friends, cash only chiropractor or dentist, or the one that your coworker recommended who's out of your network. ZocDoc makes it really, really easy for you. So you just go to ZocDoc.com, that's ZocDoc.com slash BGN, and you download the ZocDoc app for free. Then you start your search for the top rated doctor today. Many are available just within 24 hours. That's ZocDoc.com slash BGN. ZocDoc.com slash BGN. You bring up um, body image and, and how women are, are seen based on the break, the bias data. It does seem that body image is still a prevailing reason why women are experiencing that kind of bias. What are the biggest trends that you're, you're finding in your research? Yeah, I think that overall, overwhelmingly, women report experience, more than men report experiencing bias based on their body image or their body size. Um, but we also know, and the great thing about visual GPS is we can look at demographically how the, those experiences of bias might change. So we can actually look at how do women of color experience bias or report bias, um, you know, the reasons as to why they're experiencing bias, or how do working class women report those differences in bias? or how do older women. And the interesting thing that we saw was that for women of color, kind of those top uh, reasons why they report experiencing bias changes from the overall, um, the overall reported um, from all of women. So for women of color, they often report that people don't think that they are as smart as they are. Um, for working class women, the way that they look or dress or present themselves um, often is uh, the highest, the number one reason that they report experiencing gender discrimination, and as well as people not thinking that they're as smart. You know, for older women, they are seen as being only concerned um, with family obligations um, and their family, and that that is their whole entire universe. And what I know a lot of older women, my mom is an older woman, and I can tell you that her hobbies and her interests, especially with two kids now out of the house are number one. So um, that is for sure. And, you know, um, and also that people think older women are often too assertive. 
So that mm-hmm. changes as you get older. They find that they don't really want to deal with, they they report that people don't really want to deal with them because they feel, see them as too assertive and, um, and probably too wise, which they always are. Um, and, you know, for LGBTQ women, you know, people also, um, they, women, for experiencing bias based on the way that they look or dress. And I would, I can kind of, you can extrapolate from that and think that, you know, maybe some LGBTQ women kind of dress and present their gender expression in different ways. And so, you know, might have different haircuts or styles or different types of clothing. And so that is often the reason why they experience bias. And again, not as people don't think that they are as smart as they are. And so those were really, it's both frustrating, but also really good because now we can point to something specifically in an intersectional way about how we need to look at women and what are those kind of things, stereotypes we need to kind of break down when it comes to visual language. That's incredible um, because you mentioned before about the different kinds of marginalized groups that are being studied under this Break the Bias initiative, Black women, LGBTQ women, women of color, but I'm curious to know, like, uh, in, within those groups, digging down into the details, because there's biases within some of these groups. Like for Black women, there's the issue of colorism, right? Uh-huh. Um, for in the LGBTQ community, there can be the issue of trans women seeing more presented as being feminine as opposed to trans women that are presented as less feminine. And there's a bias there. So. Uh-huh. How are you guys helping to um, show some equity within marginalized communities with Break the Bias? Yeah, that is an excellent, excellent question and something we're really always thinking about. And in fact, I'm going to kind of pivot a little bit to some other work that we've been doing um, outside of just the Break the Bias. Um, we recently partnered with City um, to create what we're calling a DEI imagery toolkit. And what that is, is a look through um, the representation of people in visuals across all forms of media through eight lenses of up to eight lenses of identity. So we look at age, we look at race, we look at sexual orientation, we look at bodies, we look at religion, we look at social class, we look at gender. Um, And the great, what that does is give us that kind of, you know, intersectional within, you know, the sub-communities, the uh, intercommunal kind of experiences of people um, across these different aspects of identity. And that work is global. So we look at toolkits by country. So we actually have created one for the United States. We've created one for Mexico. We've created one for um, uh, Japan and we're doing across and we're going to be doing 12 countries in total. And one of the things that within um, for the US we looked at um, for race and ethnicity was colorism and we actually did a kind of really deep survey of colorism and what that looks like in the I mean, not shocking. None of this is shocking. Racism is not shocking to me, <laughs> but it's always kind of still startling when you kind of see with hard data, um, what patterns are actually playing out. And for colorism in particular, for the Black and African-American communities, as well as for Indian communities, what we saw, and I mentioned, um, um, was that um, at the top, that gender, women are overrepresented in visuals. So there are more, statistically, more women than there are men in visuals when it comes to what's popular um, on Getty images. And what we found is that that 
splits when you look at it by skin color. And so for dark-skinned women, dark-skinned women are often underrepresented statistically. And so, and then the, there are more dark-skinned men than there are dark-skinned women in popular visuals. And that is for Black women as well as Indian women, which is another community that often experiences really obvious colorism. Um, and that also darker skin, dark skinned children are underrepresented, they're often more frequently representing lighter skinned children, which is another thing that, you know, when you think about that um, image, I always find very odd when casting for commercials, when people are casting for movies, why do we have two dark-skinned parents and a light-skinned child? That doesn't make sense. It's I've not possible. It is not, I mean, I mean, genetics can make a lot of things possible. I have right. freckles that shows up in a couple, you know, whatever. I get that. Red hair can skip a generation, recessive genes. I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. But generally speaking, yes. it's really difficult for people to have to have do dark skin parents, you have this fair, light skinned child with three C hair, and you're like, where did she come from, or where did he come, where did they come from? And so, that is also something that felt affirming, and we had data to point to that pattern that often brands might not necessarily be conscious of in the choices that they're making. I, I just to elaborate on that point, that is something that's always been a huge pet peeve of mine because it's really since the beginning of when I even was exposed to media, always seeing two dark-skinned parents with mixed children. And I'm just like, how is that possible? Why is, and it's not just, you know, in television and film, but you see that in ads for, you know, clothing and just for just everything that is built around media. So yeah, that is so disturbing that it, even to this day, I mean, I'm now like in my 40s and it's still a trend now. Um, so that's crazy. But I'm glad that you guys obviously are aware of that and that you're working to combat that that bias. Um, so can you there, there's conversations around representation that are starting to go mainstream. And from your research, have you seen any positive changes around diversity in visual media? For sure. I definitely think we are a world away um, from maybe where we were even 10 years ago, I think, you know, let alone 25, 50 years ago. I mean, we're having a completely different conversation, really getting into the weeds, which means that we're doing something right you know, in terms of representation a little bit, you know, I think people of color are more represented overall, more broadly. Um, women, as I mentioned, are now being shown um, a lot more frequently. And while they still, the percentages are not, the representation is not where we want it to be in terms of showing women in leadership, women with different, you know, uh, lived experiences and things like that. We do know that women just are so often at the center in a way that we we haven't seen in years past. Um, I think that there is um, a lot. I think they're starting to we're starting to have better conversations about colorism. I love what Edward Enifol is doing over at Vogue. Uh, um, Vogue UK and, you know, um, British Vogue and they, you know, that cover uh, a couple of months ago was all of beautiful, beautiful, beautiful models with the deep dark skin, um, which is really powerful. And, and the conversation that it sort of catalyzed about why that choice was important, why that choice was historic. A shame that that needed to be that groundbreaking, but we got to start somewhere. Right. Absolutely. You know, 
So I think we're getting there, but there, I think that we're still recognizing also that there are other communities that we need to kind of continue to bring to the center. And all, and I, I think another thing that's really heartening is that um, that brands and advertising media are beginning to understand this concept of intersectionality. We can do many things at once. We are all many things at once. And I think we're starting to kind of recognize that, like, for example, when pride campaigns come around, we're starting to see more queer people of color at the center um, versus, you know, the archetype, what used to be the LGBTQ archetype was two white gay men who are cisgender. Right. right, exactly. Uh, speaking of brands, um, you bring up Vogue. Uh, what what can brands do better? I mean, obviously, the, these are the folks that have sort of just the a big projection screen in front of all of us as consumers, and we receive all of these images that they push out every day, whether it's YouTube ads, whether it's on you know TV commercials. Uh, what what can they do better to position themselves to? be able to be more inclusive with their imagery in their advertising? Yeah, I think, I mean, and the most important thing for all of us, and when I do this work, I do a lot of workshops, I do a lot of trainings and speaking, I always start with the fact that they need to first, every brand, every person, every marketing director, every agency person needs to recognize there is bias that lives within you, right? The majority of the world reports from our research reports experiencing bias. That means, but also they are also, it's, um, perpet- must be perpetuating bias on other people. And so when you recognize that you yourself have bias that might live within you, you know, I know I, or blind spots that might live within you, right? Like I, I represent a lot of different impacted identities, you know, as I, you know, I'm black, I'm Latina, I'm, you know, I'm queer, I, you know, I'm not a size zero, there are a lot of things that exist within me, but there are also things that I am not, I am still cisgender, I am still, you know, come from, I have class privilege, I'm light skinned, you know, I have all of these other things, I'm, I come from a family of immigrants, it might change my 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 um, lived experience and impact my experience in the U.S. Right, and so I think when you know name those things first of all for yourself, you can you're able to have a different type of conversation. I think the second thing that they need to do is really to that point is have that conversation. What it is? What are they trying to do? What are they representing? What are they? What are they? You know, what concepts are they trying to build a campaign around? And then ask themselves who can be at the center of it. If you're going to show a family, why not show a queer family? If you're going to show a family, uh, you know, why why not show a queer family who's a black queer family? Uh, you know, why if you're going to show someone who's a leader at work, why aren't you showing a trans woman? You know, if you're going to show, um, you know, someone who is out with friends. Um, you know, why not show someone who's disabled? And so have the conversation about what they're trying to do. And then the last thing is just to commit and rinse and repeat and do it all over again. You, this work is ongoing. It is something that is lifelong. This was, um, you know, we're coming from a historical experience. Like advertising was an arm of the system of oppression and racism. Like it was a tool to represent the ideal and the archetype of what American society needs to look like. That was built with intention. And I don't think a lot of people know that, but that was a system built with intention and over years and years and years. And it's going to take years and years and years to break that down. So rinse, repeat, do it again and commit to this is lifelong work for sure. 
I think the commitment is so important and we are starting to see that, you know, to give some of these brands credit. I, I mean, I've seen target ads where they've definitely included a lot of um, intersectional identities. Um, I remember years ago, Cheerios had an ad with an interracial couple and it sparked some weird controversy on social media. But uh, I, I do appreciate that these brands are working to be more inclusive. I am curious to know though, do you guys over at Getty Images, do you have uh, consultations? Do you have meetings with some of these brands to sort of go over, you know, your archive and, and your inventory of uh, images to sort of educate them on, like, this is what we have, and this is how we can help position you guys better to um, be more inclusive with your, your imagery and advertising? Yeah, I mean, that was, the city work was kind of a perfect example of one of those conversations that we had with, you know, one of the biggest financial institutions in the world. And they had came to us and were like, well, we want to do this work. We want to change our brand, our, our brand team's approach to marketing. We want to make it more inclusive. And so they were like, can you help us? And and we did. That's, you know, the great privilege of working with that team, um, you know, and the leaders over there. We also are always talking about it. Like this, the, the only way that we can make change happen is using our by using our platform for good. And so every time we have a conversation, and, and I mean, think of any sort of major brand, we you name them, we work with them. And so we are always going to them, we're in, walking in, shaking the table, beating our little drum, talking our little hearts out about our the work that we're doing and the commitment that they need to make to uh, DE&I in their um, visual choices. And we love to point them to what they might be May might not necessarily be getting right, but also offer solutions through our content to kind of help them um, do 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 the right thing and make better choices. And so, yeah, I I love that. That's my favorite part of the work that I've been doing is getting in and telling you know the, these huge brands to, uh, what to do. It's been exciting. I'm like, who, who done, let me okay? in here? <laughs> I absolutely love that. I mean, you got you got to teach these folks because um, we we were evolving, we're changing, and and speaking of evolve, like where do you how do you see representation in media continuing to evolve? How do we deepen the conversation? And are there other types of inclusion that we're not actively talking about right now? I mean, when I think of the you know obviously these conversations are so very impacted by the broader cultural conversation. Um, and I think that what's happening right now, this commitment to untruths and misinformation and, you know, uh, that sort of backlash and this like misappropriation uh, uh, of the cancel culture as a concept and all of those things. Um, I do think that that's going to have a bearing and it is having a bearing on some of the conversations and it's kind of making people a little bit anxious about dipping their toe into the water in terms of representation. And so I think that that's something that we've been having quite a few conversations about. 
Um, but I do also think that once we get past this, the pendulum always swings. And that, you know, that is something that I have seen over the years um, and I know will happen eventually, um, is that we're going to continue deepening those conversations to your point. And I think we're going to have more conversations about doing many things at once. I think the other thing is culturally, especially in the U.S., we, we're like single minded. <laughs> it's like we cannot collectively, and I love this country, um, but walk and chew gum at the same time. And I hope though, that we um, begin to, when we're talking about representation, not just say, well, I'm gonna focus on the black community today, and I'm gonna focus on the Latino community today, or the Asian community, or I'm gonna focus now on women, and then, but defaulting to white women when we talk about women, or I'm gonna focus on people who are disabled and only focus on that. You know, I hope that we can start to think about all the ways that identities might overlap and intersect and approach our work intersectionally. Um, as, you know, the amazing Kimberly Crenshaw kind of coined that concept in relation to, it was kind of a legal academic concept, but I do think it has applications here. Um, and I hope that when we talk about representation, we are talking about all the many things we can be at once so that we can kind of really represent and reflect the sort of ro ro robust diversity that we know exists in our society today. Absolutely. I mean, you hit the nail on the head with robust diversity. We're certainly not a monolith and we're not a monolith when it comes to being black women in leadership, um, which is what I wanna ask you about. I know from my personal experience running a online publication, when brands approach me, it's always around black history month. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's just like, you know, you can't really put us in a box. Um, so I, I wanna know what has been the bias that you've experienced as a black woman in leadership? Because as you mentioned earlier, you represent so many different identities, right? Um, so what has that experience been like and how has it helped frame and shape your work? How much time do we have, James? I mean, really, um, let us see. I think, no, I'm, there's no, to be quite honest, I am a Black woman. I live in this body and I am a Black woman at work, in the workplace. And I definitely have experienced a lot of weird things over the course of my career. You know, um, you know, when I was younger, um, I'm from um, Native New Yorker, I, um, you know, had this like weird kind of lilt to also to my accent. I had like, you know, my family's from the islands. And so I used to get policed about the way that I communicated. Um, and just in terms of like being perceived as not necessarily professional, I also used to get mistaken for like an admin, receptionist, et cetera, like, you know, which is love admins, love receptionists, but I'm not those things. And so I would get, you know, mistaken in meetings in that respect. I've gotten weird questions of my hair. People touched my hair at oh, work. Oh gosh, people still uh, do that. Are people still people touching still black women's hair? People still do that. I mean, this, I started about 11 years ago, but yes, people still did that even in what, 2011? So yes, and um, I um, I used to get question, asked questions about, um, you know, did I straighten my hair when I went into interviews? Like, what do you do with it? And, um, or, and, you know, even now, um, as I moved up, you know, and, and 
moved through my career, even in the later half of my, this, this later half of my career, it's like, you know, because I am very direct and very loud and expressive, I am loud and um, anyone can tell you I am just loud as a state. And yet that gets weaponized when you are hearing information that maybe not, not necessarily you don't, you don't want to hear, um, you know, and I, still experience microaggressions like even today in the workplace and I think it's those little unconscious things those little subtle cut it's like that those little subtle cuts that just dig at you um and it shouldn't be that way I will say that it should not be that way it shouldn't um be that way and I also recognize though that there is a lot of privileges I also get because I am in the body that I'm in I'm lighter skinned and so I might be able to get away with something that maybe my darker skin colleagues do not get get away with and I have to name that you know I also look around and I'm like oh you know you have a lot of Caribbean and um and and um, African colleagues and uh, you know in in the industry and then you know where are my black American um brothers and sisters and who don't get those same privileges and don't get afforded the same opportunities and it's like that's not right either and so like I do at the same time it's kind of a double-edged sword I think that I'm thinking about constantly but what I am trying at the very least to do is lift as I climb try to pave that way make the world a better place I'm a part of the global advisory committee um, um, focused on DNI, and so I've been I'm actually my tenure is coming to an end but I'm not um, I'm going to go take over the uh, LGBTQ ERG and so um, so I'm always going to be shaking the table and trying to make the place our culture at Getty and beyond more inclusive than than um than it was when I arrived but I definitely know that um you know culturally we still have a long way to go black women are amazing and I think that we need to support them regardless of their background their lived experience and um let them be their whole selves and that's what I'm trying to do and model in, in in every space I go into well, Getty is just, you know, to have you on board, they should be incredibly just, it's valuable to have you on board um, because I think it's very important, the work that you do. And I, I remember there was a time, and I believe we might've discussed this in the last episode um, when you came on on our uh, 217th episode, but I remember a time where it was really difficult to find images of women that look like me on the internet. And even Googling the term black girl nerds and what came up on Google images were white women wearing glasses with black frames. And that's what Google thought a black girl nerd looked like. Um, So I just want to thank you and the team at Getty for just creating a diverse inventory of images that I can use for my publication um, for black girl nerds because it was hard. It was hard just finding a black woman that's, you know, cosplaying or playing video games or just doing a regular task like cutting up vegetables, washing dishes. Um, So I appreciate that, Tristan. Thank you so much for having um, or for being on our podcast um, and having this conversation with me. Uh, Before we wrap this up, is there any uh, final words that you just want to share with our listeners about Getty Images and also where they can find you on social media? Um, and learn more about what you're doing. I would just say that, you know, we are 
so committed to this work. We are as committed as we are asking other folks to be. I hope people join us and in, in kind of breaking these things down and changing changing perceptions and creating a better world for all underrepresented marginalized communities around the world. Um, I'd also would last say um, pay black women. Uh, you know, we Great. celebrated uh, um, celebrated Equal Pay Day for women earlier this week, and right. yeah, black women will not make that until what I think uh, September, October, later uh, in the I think season, it's on August. Yeah, yeah, August, August, yeah. yes, and then you know, and then there's Latino women are like the last, and then it's like Native American women. So yes, pay us, pay us, pay equity yes. now. Um, and you can find me on definitely find me on LinkedIn. I'm like a social media creeper though, so I don't really con- I just consume social media. I don't post, but you can find me and connect with me on LinkedIn for sure. And just to add to that about paying Black women. Brands, stop asking Black women to do stuff for free. I'm just saying, I'm just putting that out there. Stop doing that. Um, <laughs> so Tristan, thank you so much. Uh, I really enjoyed this conversation. As always, you're a wealth of information. I think that there's a lot of people that still don't know that these biases exist in our media. Um, I mean, you know, when it comes to finding images on the web and what you guys are doing at Getty Images, the fact that you guys are really dialing into this, um, people I don't think is aware that this is happening. So I I appreciate you um, schooling us, you know, for a little bit of your time here on the Black Girl Nerds podcast. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Thank you, Maria. I appreciate it. Thank you again, Tristan. It's, It's a pleasure always to talk to you. I feel like I, you know, my IQ points have gone up about 10 points. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, thank you so much for having me. It was such a blast and such a good conversation. You asked really good questions. And so I just appreciate the time you took out. And again, for inviting me back. Pleasure. The Black Girl Nerds podcast is produced by Jamie Broadnax. The opening theme song to our show is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals are performed by Samus, Sky Blue, and Shubzilla. You can find various episodes of the Black Girl Nerds podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Audioboom, Google Play Music, and Spotify.